Welcome. Hi, I'm Mickey, and this is Wikipedia, where I sit down and chat to doctors, professors, athletes, practitioners, and experts in their fields related to health, nutrition, fitness, and well-being. And I'm delighted that you're here. Everyone, it's Mickey here. Welcome to Wikipedia. And this week on the podcast, I am joined by Darren Ellis, who is the former owner of CrossFit New Zealand, which was the first CrossFit gym in New Zealand. And we talk all about considerations as we age for men over 40 years. So Darren sort of reached this place where he was frustrated with the state of fitness and nutrition industry and has spent years researching and experimenting to find the most effective way to better health, performance and fitness. This is, of course, on the back of a master's degree in exercise physiology. So his main aim is to share what he's learned with as many people as possible teaching them that there are no shortcuts with exercise, but that it can be achievable and even fun with good coaching and a supportive peer group. And Darren and I talk all about some of these myths and misconceptions as we age and what we might need to change as we move into our sort of later decades. And of course, this is focused on men's health, but I think that a lot of these lessons or this information is definitely transferable across the population. Before we jump into the show, just remind you that the best way to support the podcast is to hit subscribe on the platform that you're listening to and share this with your mates who might also be interested in these topic areas. And of course, you could totally go that extra mile by jumping onto my website, mickeywillardin.com and signing up to any one of my meal plans, but maybe even my recipe portal access where you get access to over 900 recipes now. You also get a weekly email from me. You get to join our private Facebook community where I run regular forums and you get the opportunity to pick my brain about anything to do with your own nutrition and health information. All contacts for Darren can be found in the podcast show notes, but for now, please listen to this awesome conversation that I had with Darren Ellis. Funny how things change. Things do change. I guess that's what we're going to talk about a little bit, huh? Well, here we are because you're a wealth of information and I've followed you for a long time and you've been really helpful with me with regards to my running. I, I think maybe even five or six years ago and I we caught up for coffee and you gave me mm. some sort of insight into some strength and training stuff that I could do. But, you know, I've long known you as a good friend of Dr. Cliff Harvey, who has been on the show a number of times now, uh, who I know you're also collaborating on a project with with him. Um, yeah. So I'm really excited to talk to you about that project, Darren. Um, can you kick us off by giving me a backstory? So uh, with regards to your, I suppose, your professional interest in this area, so let us know sort of where you've come from, but also your personal interest as well. All right. Uh, try to compress that into... Uh, a fairly <laughs> short story. Um, although, like, at least we had to a bit of a humble brag, I guess. Um, you know, this industry of, of it, well, the fitness in particular, less so the nutrition, uh, which I, I couldn't speak to um, in terms of understanding career paths, but fitness per se, it's about three years on average that people stay in, in that industry. It's very yeah. transient. And... Uh, yeah, perhaps not thought of as a real job. And uh, I've been doing it 20 years. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've, I've been around the traps a, f a fair while. So I do take a bit of pride in that. And sometimes I have to, you know, typical Kiwi, I have to remind myself to take some pride in that. Yeah. Uh, before that, though, um, was not up to much, um, not a lot of direction. Although, again, you mm -hmm. could say the writing was on the wall. Um, I laugh that I failed every subject in seventh form except mm. for PE. Uh, ah. I got first place, uh, oh, first nice. place award for that. But because I failed everything else, I couldn't take it off to university and pursue it any further. So uh, I bummed around uh, in some dead-end jobs for a while and then uh, 
went overseas and did a, f- a few more dead end jobs. But what it also did was um, opened up the world to travel and experience um, mm. maturity. And uh, yeah, I learned a lot um, about myself and about the world. And then I came back and became an adult student and, and did the degree that I probably should have done if I applied myself in the first place. So uh, University of Auckland, um, then master's degree, exercise physiology. Mm. Uh, and as I was finishing that off, um, realized, yeah, there was not a lot in the way of careers um, despite my qualifications. Um, so uh, yeah, I was working in gyms the entire time, started doing boot camps uh, because that was mm. the sort of popular thing. And um, while researching like ways to make that more interesting, find new workouts, et cetera, stumbled across sort of somewhat simultaneously CrossFit and uh, the movie 300. And it was, there was a big thing about how the actors for the 300 trained and transformed their bodies uh, to become these gladiators and you know, run around in loincloths and capes. And uh, when was this, Darren? This was 2007. Okay. So I'm trying to, when, so CrossFit itself didn't sort of, um, blow up on the scene uh, maybe only three years earlier or was it seven years earlier? Uh, like, some people the... might refer to me as an OG and I, I certainly in New Zealand I, I am. I, I started the first one in this country uh, mm. which was one of the first 500 in the world of yeah. which there's now about 15,000. Amazing. Uh, but there are people certainly more OG than me, and and they're typically two thousand five, two thousand and six. I think yeah. Rob started the first official affiliate two thousand three or four, yeah. five, something like that. Yeah, yeah, maybe t- yeah. So it was somewhere around there. But two thousand and seven, yeah. eight was that initial surge, and then you would probably say the peak of popularity was about twelve, thirteen, fourteen, even. When it was really all around, yeah. So you started the first CrossFit gym in New Zealand. Yes. Was were we all ready for that? Not at all. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, because of course no one knew what it was. So I was forever trying to explain to people why they should pay me uh, considerably more than the the sort of considered going right for a gym to come and get incredibly uncomfortable in a dirty, mm. grimy, rotting um, uh, old building, industrial building. Mm. Interesting, um, eh? Yeah, yeah. And, um, of course, it was, the, it was the sort of grimy underground feel that actually started to appeal to people. Um, yeah. Not to mention the fact that it was very different to anything anyone had done. And, um, and then, yeah, they were getting very, very fit. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? If I think about um, the just the rise in other gyms now, F45, Orange Theory, BFT might be another mm-hmm, one. Mm-hmm. Um, very similar sort of model and considerable expense compared to paying, say, 25 bucks a week to go to your gym, do a step class and maybe like do some laps of the pool. Yeah. Yeah, well, and it's, it's been an interesting transition too. Uh, I, I might be getting slightly off on a tangent here, but what's been very really interesting to see is that for CrossFit, they were putting the the justification behind the higher price in the value of the coaching. That that had not really been applied in the modern gym world um, for some time, if at all. Um, you could maybe hark back to, you know, some very early days where just people were sort of, you know, they really were coach with a capital C and yeah. they, they, you know, they were very invested in that. But, you know, very once it became commoditized and, and the health club kind of 80s sort of thing, you know, that was lost. Mm. CrossFit brought that back and it was worth that kind of money. Mm. What we see with some of those other gyms that are now kind of popular on the scene, they are actually charging a price they know they can get because it is popular. Yeah. It is status. It's yeah. it's 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 social media signaling, which is very interesting. Yeah. Um yeah. and I'll say no more about that, but I just think it's an interesting <laughs> transition. Um, yeah, for sure. That so people now-, now see see the value in paying that money just because that's what you do, you know, you wear yeah. $300 white sneakers, you have a Rolex, you drive a sports car, you train at X. You know, yeah, 
Um, Hilarious you say Rolex. It is showing your age. It probably bit. is. Yeah, what's now? I don't even know what. I actually <laughs> a remember. Garmin. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah I actually yeah, yeah. recall reading a while back that uh, Rolex missed the boat, and this is a similar thing. Their watches were not expensive enough, and so other companies uh, came out with more expensive watches because the very rich people um, yeah. needed something more. Yeah, um, interesting. Which, you know, it's similar, <laughs> similar kind of story. Yeah. So. so, Darren, in terms of your own sort of uh, uh, fitness journey, if you like, because you were you were one of New Zealand's best CrossFitters, weren't you? Like you were in there, you were coaching, but you were also going to the CrossFit Games, you were running a gym, you were totally in that scene. And also, of course, you probably were responsible for some of those initial kind of paleo conversations, even though you you certainly um, place yourself well within the exercise science camp because that is where your area is. Of course, you have some experience and knowledge in that nutrition stuff as mm-hmm. well. So I sort of feel like you have definitely the early adopter, you were the person responsible for the early adopters in New Zealand in in that space. So physically for you, how has how did that influence your own training and your own sort of yeah growth in that area? Well it yeah, that's that is a very interesting question. I, I've I'm very blessed, lucky I guess, that I, I got the benefit of um having a foot in both camps. Uh I mean, CrossFit uh, was was very. It, it definitely had a science basis to it, mm. uh, and it had a lot of what I also appreciate, which is you know um, some 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 real world sort of bro science, which is like we've tried this and it works, and thus you know we're doing it. Um, yeah, and which got a lot of pushback from science because it was you know, uh, mm. but the the melding of the two i guess you know really sound scientific principles and um things that are harder to prove like the the power of working out in a community um, in terms of effort that you bring and things like that uh so i like to think that i was always doing functional fitness before i discovered crossfit because i understood that squat hinge push pull um yeah. was was the fundamental thing to do to to make yourself healthy and strong and and, and mm. fit so i squatted i i i deadlifted i i, I pushed i pulled um but yeah the the thing about uh crossfit at the time was uh a normal gym workout was you went to the gym you you went into the cardio room you warmed up then you went into the strength room and you did strength and then you went back into the cardio room and you did cardio and and then you went home and and that was great actually because this is the thing it did work for a lot of people mm. if you did that mm. consistently crossfit said hey why don't you grab that bike and wheel it into the strength room and do both yeah and um yeah, and, and it worked. Uh, it worked because it was a stimulus that people hadn't had before. It worked because mm. it was more fun. It worked mm-hmm. because it was more varied. And mm. I'm not saying this is right or wrong necessarily, but humans mm. are just, you know, we're, we're terrible. We need we need that uh, bright, shiny thing. Yeah, totally. And, um, and it worked because it was gamified. Mm. Yeah. You know, so there are a lot of things going for it. And um, uh, we'll delve into some of the reasons why those were not so good, I'm sure, it's. Uh, along this this chat but um certainly those were the things that really um you know pushed it along in popularity very very quickly yeah okay and and in fact you know what we what i would love for us to discuss sort of today is of course the potential um pitfalls of i suppose uh training and nutrition in the area that you're interested in like men over 40 etc mm-hmm. um and so what you've just described is where it might go wrong. That might sort of fall into that um, into that space. But to sort of get us there, what has been your last few years and your last your interest, I suppose, in the last few years? How's that changed to sort of bring you to this point where you're now super interested in that resiliency of men over forty? Yeah, well, and part of it was is simply aging, uh, realizing you, uh, <laughs> that things are changing. Uh, let's call a little bit of wisdom, hopefully, along with that. Uh, I, I went to the CrossFit Games in 2015 um, as a masters athlete, competing in the 40 to 44 bracket, uh, and yeah, you know, I qualified uh, for those uh, like second in in this region. Uh, or no, sorry, second in the world. Um, and so, sure, I was, as far as CrossFit measures it, I was pretty much the fittest 40-year-old walking around at the time. Uh, but uh, my shoulder ached every day. My back was constantly out. 
Um, I had this knee thing, this ankle thing. Wrists were always in pain. Uh, that's the price of sport, though. And I think you could argue any sport. I know you certainly could speak to to ultras and, and things like that, Mickey. There's there's a level of sacrifice. Um, we're not really built to do a lot of the things we do in sport, yeah. Uh, but we are capable of them, and there's some benefits to 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 kind of risking it, I guess, to to compete, whether it's with yourself or with others. Um, and then, of course, you know, there's millions of dollars on the line in some sports, and so there's mm-hmm. there's value to that. Uh, after I went to the games, which is an amateur sport, <laughs> there's no money for that. Um, I yeah took a step back and thought, well, do I, you know, everyone was asking, "Are you going to go again?" Because I, I actually competed injured, so I went over there as a sort of podium favorite. Uh, ended up twelfth out of twenty, so not really mm. that great. Mm. Uh, and I had fun, but I also I also didn't in the sense of I'd put pressure on myself. I felt pressure from others. I wanted to do well. I wanted to impress. There was some ego involved, and instead, I just was was sore, um, outclassed. And uh, yeah, that when when it came time to think about going again, the questions coming up were: Do I have the time to train to do this? Do I have the desire? And what is the what what what's the benefit? What's the benefit? Uh, you know, the cost benefit ratio. And it was not in 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 favor of going again or trying to go again. Uh, so instead, yeah, I started focusing on f- f- training to feel better. And yeah. lo and behold, once that started to work, <laughs> um, you know, it's kind of like the smoker giving up cigarettes and going, oh, that's what a full lung full of air feels like. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's so interesting, isn't it? Like, Because yeah. if I think about people that I work with, a lot of them, um, the, my athlete sort of population are coming to me in their sort of mid to late 30s. They've sort of, they've they've gone through that traditional route, they've got married, had a family, they've hit the corporate world, they're sort of at the top of their game in the corporate world, and now they're looking for another challenge. And, you know, so people that I work with, a lot of the time it is, it's endurance sport, mm-hmm. you know, and, and 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 it's not that they're not doing the other sort of things on the side, but they're like, you know, really want to knock something else off, like an ultra run or a triathlon, a triathlon, that kind of thing remembering in their minds of the athlete that they were yeah. when they were 18, 19, 20, thinking that it's going to be the same. So I think this is what makes this such a sort of pertinent issue is that women, I think, maybe it's just because I am a woman, but we're much more aware of, um, or some of us, our limitations, if you like, and our health, whereas men aren't necessarily sort of burdened by that knowledge. Uh, and it can sort of work against them. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, and of course, there's there's, there's definitely uh, it, it can go both ways, but it's yeah. men men tend to be a bit more guilty of of the ego thing, and yeah, we if we want to blame testosterone, if we want to blame the the gender sort of uh, um, makeup of of uh, traditional male female roles, um, who we think we're supposed to be. You know, that's a big one, right? The alpha lion and then like the young ones start coming around growling and, you know, do you have to defend your territory? Uh, they certainly, you know, I've, I'm a, a new dad, so I've, I felt that sort of thing. I was joking with an old friend about this, like this new dad, like defense, you know, feeling, um, you know, do I got to, uh, do I need a baseball bat behind the door from now on? That sort of carry on. I and mean, it's a real thing. Yeah. And yeah, so um, when you... <laughs> What typically happens, I think, is 20s, you're naturally fit enough. You know, you can stay lean without really – I know I lived on fast food from Friday night to Sunday night every single weekend, um, late teens, early 20s, Yeah, and um, it wasn't a problem. Uh, Partly that's society, you know, naturally active. I often talk, actually, like I started CrossFit about the year that the first iPhone was invented. So my first clients, they didn't have – eight hours a day of crank neck screen time. So they were also generally saying, oh, I used to do triathlons, I've been done some bodybuilding, da da da. You know, the 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 in, in this relatively small time, 15 years, we've gone from people who are just reasonably active, even if they wouldn't have said they were, they certainly were compared to now. Yeah. Um, so what's happened is these 40-year-old guys have spent their 30s building a career and building families. So they've let their health dwindle, 
And so it's almost like they've skipped a step. I mean, so focused mm. on work. Twenties, yeah. I, I mean, I did this. Oh yeah, like I every every winter or uh, rugby training rolls around, and yeah, I gained like three kilos over the summer. But then it disappeared in two weeks, and I was back with a, cu- a couple of weeks of suicides, and I was crushing it. And they just they just skip over their entire career of thirties. Now they get into mid late forties, and they're like, "Well, I know what I need to do because it worked last time. Start doing yeah. suicides, yeah, and cut out some beer. Oh, yeah, shoot, it's not working, and my knee hurts. <laughs> yeah, and I don't, you know, like I know a few people and and have a few clients, and that I feel really troubled by the idea that they've got these really big, lofty sports goals, be it triathlon, be it. Uh, wanting to go to CrossFit five times a week, you know, uh, because my mates go um, this ultra run. Yet they're literally coming from the couch, and yeah. in their head, they should be able to do go out and you know have this sort of you know fairly moderate in terms of the sport training program, like maybe mm-hmm. only ten hours a week, which to me is still phenomenal. But you know, yeah. ten hours a week, and they're not understanding why they can't. Why they're unable to sort of execute what is in their head supposed to be like super easy. So, what are some of those? What are some of the reasons for the difficulty in physically getting back into it? Yeah, we we all love to blame metabolism, right? And it's like yeah, you hear the it's like the those those rules like eight glasses of water and ten thousand steps, and you know metabolism decreases by ten percent a year or a decade or something. And we know like a lot of the latest research is showing that Mm. we actually stay relatively flat until we hit our sixties, and even then it's not a massive like rapid decline. Mm -hmm. It ain't your metabolism. It's you don't have time. You're more stressed. Um, Certainly, there are some hormonal changes. Um, I think it's the stress. I think about. Traveling through Africa for eight months in my twenties and just lying in a tent for days on end, doing nothing. There's, yeah. there's no responsibility in in my life. I can do whatever I want yeah. now. Work, kids, providing family, buying a home in today's current climate. Uh, yeah. um, just no time, not sleeping enough. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, trying to make that deal or, or finish that project or, or whatever, and then to go and then subject yourself to more stress, which is what yeah. training is. Yeah. And I think people often forget that um, there's you know there's two types of stress. We've got U stress, uh, EU stress, which means good stress, and uh, distress, mm. which is the bad stress. And um, you know, most people when they think about exercise, they always pick distress. Yeah. More volume, more intensity, uh, more impact, and uh, there's there's plenty of eustress style ways to train that actually can help us. And, you know, that's uh, walking, uh, zone two work, um, mobility work, um, prehab flows, and, and and active recovery sessions, and uh, cold and hot exposure, and um, just simple play. Like I like to get on the balance beam and the slack line and do handstands and throw the frisbee. Mm. Um, you know, that sort of stuff is really, really important. And I think, yeah, we just jump straight in with a full 10 hours of, of distress. Um, yeah. when maybe if it was five hours of distress, because, yeah, we do need to stress the muscles in the cardiovascular system to create adaptation. But uh, if we're not recovering or ad- adapting to that, it's mm. it's no point. So what if that 10 hours was five hours of distress work, five hours of eustress work, heck, five more hours of sleep? Yeah. yeah, and you raise such a good point. I think as a typical type A, which a lot of people who might be listening to this might fall into that category, or a lot of people who decide that they want to do these massive events or these challenges, they are, they are, you know, type A. And so for them, it's almost like their lifestyle lends itself to wanting to uh, blow off some steam. And the way that they're traditionally blow off steam is to do some of that, you know, uh, zone four, zone five type work because your cortisol is already elevated and mm-hmm. you know you're going to get this big dump if you go out and sort of do it, a big, you know, dump in hormones and, you know, feel better for a moment. But it's that sort yeah. of uh, day in, day out situation which doesn't lend itself well to people. And then on top of it, they're doing sessions like that and then they're sitting in their home office for eight hours back-to-back mm. meetings, not really moving, not really thinking about moving because they've just done that session or they're just about to do that session. So in their head, they've sort of almost accounted for this idea that they're, um, they're sedentary by doing that structured stuff, not recognising actually that other much more calming, much more you stress type approach is probably going to be better for them. 
Yeah, well, it's crazy, isn't it? You know, I, t- I spoke before about the the sort of smartphone connection. Um, mm. You know, as a as a population, we are more sedentary across the day than we've ever been at any point in history. Also, as a population, we are performing more intense, more volume exercise than we've ever performed in history. Uh, so it's a weird clash, and they 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 don't match. Um, no, you can't not when you look at the health statistics. Crush yourself for an hour and then do nothing for twenty three. Um, mm. Plus, um, have some wine and beer and 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 whatever insert whatever sort of junk food you like because I earned it. Yeah, um, it's created. Um, and I, I use this term. It sounds it sounds mean, but it's I, I say it this way to, to to prove a point or to prove what I'm trying to say is. Uh, I, I saw a lot of fat CrossFitters um, yeah. in my time, and and I, and I apply that as blanket. I mean, really, um, fat fit people, uh, yeah. and where they have a lot of capacity, they have a lot of mm-hmm. endurance, they have a lot of strength, strength endurance, a lot of power, mm. but because they haven't changed their lifestyle outside of training, mm. they are naturally their body composition is perhaps not where it could be. Um, yeah. And you know, we talk about uh, if we go to, into um, obesity research that that obese and overweight people who lose just a fraction of 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 um, body fat mm. see massively increased health markers mm-hmm. and yet these fit people are kind of going the other way so what does it mean if you're doing all this all these things to be fit and yet your body composition is slowly creeping up by a small fraction does that in turn then mean that our health markers are, are taking a plunge to a significant level. And I do wonder mm. about that, you know, that um, we're seeing people who are very fit but perhaps are not doing a lot for their health, their health span, their longevity. Um, and that's outside of blood. We can talk about the joint health and you know, loss of mobility and, and, and things like that as well. But, it's, you know, again, it's a very – I'm not sure if I'm going to call it my, um, my theory or my hypothesis, but I just – yeah, I do see an issue, a potential issue around it with the recreational uh, intense athletes, shall we say. Yeah, and they're the, they're your population, aren't they? They're the people yeah. Well, we love to be social, and you'd out. see it too, right, Mickey? Yeah. Um, um, dare I say you're one of them? But, but you uh, mm. you've got the compromise. You've you've I think you've got the sweet spot, right? Because of your knowledge, practice. Um, mm. There's nothing wrong with going for a beer after a long run, mm. uh, but it's it's one or two, um, and it's not every day or or whatever the the ratio is. You know, maybe everyone's got to find their sweet spot, but yeah. I think. Too often we justify where that sweet spot is, knowing that that's not really the sweet spot. Yeah. Okay. In the sort of population that you're interested in, that we talk like in that sort of mid to late over forties range, what are some of the major health problems you're seeing? Uh, joint pain is is or, and, and or just outright outright injury is certainly very high up there. Yeah. Um. Again, the stuff we got away with in our twenties, right? Maybe just catches up with us. Um, I've I've got a, a left shoulder that's it's from bench pressing at 19 years old. It still gives me grief, and and until medical science injects nanobots into me, and you know, hopefully in the next 10 or 20 years, and and it fixes it all up, um, I'm just dealing with it, and I can do pretty much anything. Um, but um, yeah, it'll give me some pain from time to time, or if I do something silly, it'll flare up. Uh, and yeah, you come back to those those forty year olds who try to jump back into stuff too soon. We often will see issues there. So I'd say yeah, just just general musculoskeletal kind of injuries are, are huge. And then yeah, the secondary thing is that underlying stuff. So you know, you talked about the the stress relief or the stress release um, of people. And I've you know I had clients all the time saying I just need you know I'd be perhaps suggesting to them to to button off a little bit. You don't understand the kind of day I've had. I just need to blow off some steam. Yeah, right? but yeah. Uh, I can snort a line or inject some heroin or something, and I'll, I'll, you know, feel better too. But what happens after that? And if I'm doing yeah. that every day, we know that's a problem. Um, now, I don't want to be comparing hard exercise to um, injecting heroin, yeah. but uh, there are negatives to training very intensely. And yeah. if training intensely is the only way to um, uh, blunt that stress response with a, you know, a nice hefty dollop of uh, of endorphins. Um, we're also getting the cortisol after that, and yeah, it's just it doesn't tend to to add up over time. 
because we're not mm. addressing the, the the reason, right? And of course, you know, I could tell someone, "Well, you've got to quit your job. You've got to um, mm. adopt your kids out, and mm. um, you know, move move, move your PT in." Um, yeah, we we can't quite we can't quite go to that extremes, you know, like celebrity uh, like actors doing these massive transformations and becoming black belts in um, in jujitsu in six months uh, because they're they're getting paid twenty million and they can do whatever they need to do. Yeah, we're yeah. not in the same luxury position. But um, at the same time, there's there's got to be um, some some compromises we can make. Yeah, and in your experience, Darren, like are people ready to hear stuff like that when you're talking to them? If they've got some idea of what they need to be doing, yet you're telling them not the opposite, but you're giving them a modified version. Like, yeah. how open are they to sort of to the concept that actually underlying all of this is health and what they sort of want to be doing isn't necessarily lending itself to that? Is health a motivator? for them the way that you would think it should be? I think people are getting there, right? Like you, you mm. probably have seen seen a similar shift. Um, you know, the number of people who are willing to have cold showers and, and ice baths and uh, uh, putting saunas in their backyards and, and things like we're se- certainly seeing a growth. I don't know if that's um, – what's the word? Um, you know I'm talking about the ones who take supplements. The Healthy uh, – the, the, the worried well? Worried well, yeah. Mm. And maybe it's a lot of the worried well who are doing those things. Um, but yeah, we, we're seeing that growth where, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, uh, more self-help books available, more people paying attention to mindfulness and breathing and meditation and gratitude journals and things like that. There is a shift for sure. Um, but yeah, we've got a lot of work still to do. Yeah. And so typically, yeah, my goal, I, if we come back to simply to, to workout programming, yeah, I'm trying to find mm. a way to, to find a compromise. I mm. understand the appeal of a hard workout. You know, I live mm. that. I, I I love doing it. Mm. Uh, but I also love feeling so good after a workout the next day, no soreness that I can go for a surf, I can yeah. go for a run, I can I can um, uh, do what do whatever, and and not feel like the training I did is impacting on the rest of my life. And, and now I'm looking again to the forty year old. When you're in your twenties, you can totally, you know, have a have a disproportionate approach to life. So if you want to live in the gym. Mm. And train for the CrossFit Games, or train to be uh, an ultra runner, or or, or a, a, a do Ironman. Um, absolutely, devote twenty, thirty hours a week to training. That's that's cool. Um, but uh, when you don't have that time, you have got to find a different approach. So, yeah, it's it's a bit of a compromise. Like, how do I find some of that fun, some of that challenge, some of that variety without driving risk? Mm. You know, so it's like you. You, this, this is loosely related, but this is something that I think I say to a lot of people, do you understand that you will die one day? Mm. Well, y- yes, of course. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you also understand then that uh, at some point you can't be any stronger or, or, or can't run a faster mile or, or whatever? Yeah. All right. But you're not, you're not acting that way. Like you, we just said – you're 65 years old and you just said, oh, well, my, I used to do five-minute splits. Yeah. yeah. How old were you? All right. Yeah. So why, why are we talking about that? You're 65 and you have, an, you know, you, you have an upcoming knee replacement. So like five-minute splits, there's no point in even discussing that. What can we do now? Um, I used to be able to squat 200 kilos. Well, sure. Um, but it's not, you know, the legend of Milo, which is this Greek myth that uh, when Milo was born, his father gave him a, a baby calf and he said, lift the calf over your head. And every day Milo lifted the calf. And of course, as the calf grew bigger, so Milo grew stronger. And eventually he's putting this thousand pound bull over his head and he's the strongest man in all of Greece. It, it doesn't, it's not a linear not thing. A linear at, some point, at some point we stop. So um, sure, some people will, will keep, PRing until they're 50, 60 years old. Most of us are going to find that we're going to hit our limits in our 30s somewhere. So how do we, I guess, yeah, I guess what I'm really saying, right, is that we have to make peace with it. Yeah. At some point, we can't be better than what by we those were. metrics, the metrics, mm. or at least the metrics we were yes. judging ourselves by. Yeah. But why does it have to be what's the most you can back squat once? What about maybe you can improve 10, 10 RM? Yeah. Maybe you can improve your single leg squat. Darren, I um so in my next couple of years I really want to run the Boston Marathon, right? And the qualifying time for my age groups, because I'll be 45 in July. 
and the qualifying time for my age group is three hours 50. So my PB is 255. Mm-hmm. I've recently run... Oh, I was injured, but we ran just under four hours at or three forty nine or something at New York. But I I know that if I trained, I know, but I th- I'm I'm pretty sure if I trained, um, then I could be close to my most recent pretty good time of like three seventeen or three eighteen. Mm. But the fact that that qualifying time for Boston, which is an event that almost everyone wants to do, is three hours fifty, should tell me a little bit about that aging process that actually it's okay to have you like I don't need to necessarily set my goal at 318 why not set my goal at like 335 you know I've still got a 15 minute buffer in order to sort of make my age group and I think that's really reflective of that sort of changing the goalposts in order to sort of um just so you can make peace. And I think I had a bit of that light bulb moment actually just this weekend yeah and here's the other thing to think about how many hours per week on average would you have to train to run a 317 again versus mm. running a 349? Mm. Well, It'll I'm be just, vastly different. Yeah, and actually um, most different would probably be in the intensity that I have to run when I do it, which is mm. really what I should be working on. But, you know, yeah. like I don't have to kill myself twice a week. I might only have to kill myself once every 10 days. Yeah, which is huge when you're dealing with, let's say, Work stress, mm. family stress, general life stress. Um, that's the thing is 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 the 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 reality of, of where you're at. And and I think what a lot of people yeah perhaps don't understand is that again they maybe they whether they're comparing themselves to outliers on social media. You know, just because Tom Brady's done it twelve years in a row doesn't mean you can. Um, yeah. Also, he's in you know he's in the safe position. He's he's not really getting battered like like some of these other guys. Yeah. Uh, but yeah the. the if if you were to train four or five times a week and you could reach, let's say, 85% of your genetic potential, mm. but to, to reach 90% of your genetic, genetic potential, you may have to double that training volume or, or mm. double the intensity. Mm. Um, is it worth it? Yeah. You know, and I don't want to come at, it, at this with this cop out, like here's Darren telling everyone not to try. Um, yeah, but it's, yeah, yeah. it's just a reality of uh, if you want – if you want to be 90 plus of your potential, cool, commit to it. You know, if you want to be the best in the world, then you take the risk. Mm, that's, yeah. I think that's the cool thing about humans as well. Like we're willing to have a go. Um, yeah. But for, for every, you know, CrossFit world champion, marathon world champion, there's thousands of people who maybe could have made it, but they blew out a knee, they hurt their shoulder, they accidentally got pregnant, they um, got hit by a car, they got a promotion. Um, whatever you know, so many things that can, can get away, and so it's it's really a it's a huge choice, and I do think yeah. it's stuff that's worth talking about because yeah. uh, I I was watching something just today where it was like everyone wants to jump in the pool, but no one wants to get wet, kind of thing. Yeah. Like you know, wanting yeah. cake and eat it too. It's it's yeah. a lot of it's a lot of that, and people I definitely get people come to me saying you know I want this and I want that and I want to achieve that. I go, but you are forty five, you're overweight, you have a seventy hour a week, um, you know, job, you have four kids. What's going to give, yeah. What's going to give. Yeah. Um, Darren, in your experience, like how much does alcohol play into some of the sort of health challenges that, that, you know, men are are facing, like um, men in that sort of like middle age? And I'll I'll just tell you just a really quick, quite funny story. We were down sitting at a bar mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago and then on the, on the table beside us were these bunch of probably mid-50s, um, early 60s men and they're talking quite loudly about all of the cricket players, no, all of the rugby players that from maybe 2000 to 2004 that they used to watch and play against uh, and they were basically just kind of living their best reliving their best life and experience trying to one-up each other on who they knew from old school cricket New Zealand Uh um, uh, rugby um, talking about their high school rugby days about how you know Auckland Grammar they used to play for Auckland Grammar 40 years ago so people still sort of live in that sort of you know in the glory days if you like Um, but what I found even more interesting was that these guys were all um kind of mildly to moderately overweight, carrying that visceral sort of body fat downing beers like there was no tomorrow. Like 
it's such a disconnect. But anyway, that's mm. the, I was thinking about the alcohol thing and that yeah. story spring to mind. And hey, New Zealand has quite the culture of it, don't we? And it's very much yeah. associated with sport too. And I, I think, um, yeah, there's so much to unpack there. But certainly very quickly, there's a habit thing in there, right? So again, yeah. 20s, you get away with it. Yeah. If you don't learn what how what your body is doing, how it's responding in your 30s, in your 40s, 50s, 60s, you're going to get a surprise. And then it's even harder to change those habits because they're ingrained. And the amount of people who are like, this is just what I do. This is just how mm. it is. Um, you don't understand. It's part of my work. Uh, yeah, that's I got I, I, I can't help you. Um yeah, it's a it is a tough one. And um I got <laughs> I tell this sort of story and analogy a few times, right? When you are a big drinker in your 20s, maybe the, your parents and that will sort of shake their heads, but they they get it and they've probably been through it. So they're like, okay, it's just, that is young. It's a phase. In your 30s, it's kind of like, hey, you know, maybe you should like think about. And then in your 40s, you're that, you're that dodgy guy in the nightclub, like you shouldn't be there. And all the yeah. other 20s who are in there, dancing and yeah. having fun are looking at you going weirdo um, and not just in the nightclub you're that you're that dodge dodgy in that restaurant over there yeah. you know yeah. you know for hours on end just bottles yeah. on bottles yeah yeah so to use the same analogy what we need to be doing is when we were 20 um i drove through hamilton a couple of weeks ago and i remembered shakes nightclub where we used to get the dollar beers and we'd fill the table during happy hour so we got the deal you got to go from that to when you're in your 40s, um, you know you can still enjoy alcohol, but maybe different. Well, let's let's put it another way: three things that sort of involved in a Saturday night: alcohol, food, and friends. Yeah. So instead of a table full of dollar beers and ten mates and um, uh, crazy loud pumping music uh, in a nightclub, it's a nice bottle of wine, mm. um, one other couple. You know, four four good friends together in a restaurant enjoying a, a quality three course meal. So yeah, we've yeah. still got socializing, food, alcohol. It's just enjoyed in moderation, a completely different uh, way and with a completely different mindset. Um, so I guess, yeah, I, I haven't fully answered the question. What's been really interesting around the scientific research behind alcohol is, of course, a lot of people saying that uh, there's there's benefits. You know, wine gets the gets the big promotion mm. um, i saw an interesting study years back when i was doing my postgrad and the graph was kind of um, a tick shaped mm. uh, which showed that uh, what was a reverse tick anyway that one drink per day had the best sort of qual- outcome measures for longevity yeah but zero was worse than one yeah and so it was two and three and four got worse Right. Yeah. So how is zero drinks worse than one drink for longevity? And the, the, the theory was it's not the protective um, phytochemicals found in red wine. It's that people who have one glass of wine also practice moderation yeah. in other things. And they yeah. also are probably very social. If you're drinking one glass, it's probably with other people, um, yeah. even if it's just your significant other. Um, but you're not sitting at home sinking in a bottle or you're not outraging like that 20-year-old. So um, yeah, alcohol can can be a part of a healthy lifestyle, but it's certainly it's all about the approach. It's not about the alcohol itself. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I had a client a few years ago and it would be worn like a badge that he would drink two bottles of wine in an evening and in the middle of the week, get up and function well the next day. And he might mm-hmm. have been sort of on the cusp of 40, early 40s. And, it, you know, he was a functioning alcoholic. And I mm-hmm. think when I talk to people about the amount of alcohol that they drink, there are a number of people that might fall into that category purely because of the habitual nature of it. It's not even that um, I think they would have, they would struggle to come off it, but they certainly, they, in their head, there's certainly no worse off for it the next day. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember where I read it, so I really don't want to quote it as fact, but it was just a suggestion that two units of alcohol, um, if if consumed daily, was considered binge drinking these days. Yeah, interesting. In terms of a, a negative effect. Yeah. Um, which is usually one glass, right? <laughs> we think about the yeah. poor. It's usually one glass is is two units. Um and hey, I've I've certainly spent many a week during lockdown 
uh, consuming two units a day yeah, for yeah. an extended length of time, let me tell you. Yeah. Uh, um, but not much more than that. <laughs> um, and yeah, again, coming back to that moderation, it's, it's coming back to that moderation. Uh, and I guess that's the thing. Again, it's the it's the pool, but not wet. Um, yeah. I and you would have had it as well. Like uh, I, um, hey Mickey, I'm coming to you with all these lofty goals, but just so you know, I don't want to give up eating chocolate and alcohol and fast food on the weekends. Yeah. What can you do oh, for yeah. me? Yeah. And I think sometimes people think that if you're they're paying you, then you're yeah. going to wave some magic wand and allow them to have their cake and eat it. And unfortunately, it's just not that easy, particularly yeah. as you age. Yeah. But then there's this weird, perhaps sort of paradox that those same people, they see people like yourself enjoying uh, a, a stout and yeah. some and some fries at the pub. And um, you'll get either the old, um, like, oh, I caught you out, um, <laughs> yeah. which is, always makes me laugh. Yeah, uh, or um, I don't understand. Like, how can you do this? And you're, you're preaching that. And I'm like, no, I'm not. This is not me conflicting with with the advice I'm giving because we are mm. talking about moderation and um, and individualized context. Yeah, you know, that, yeah. I think that's what it is as well. Like, I have, I have lots of people do exactly what you've just described. They're like, Mickey, you told me that I couldn't have yogurt, and I'm like. You're you're intolerant to dairy. <laughs> Your gut tells you that every time you eat it. So yeah, my recommendation is to cut that dairy out. Yeah, that's not what I struggle with. So yeah, yeah. And the, there's another one. Um, and to the, to the listeners, this is not Mickey and I ganging up on you. It's just what we see as a as a you know general trend. <laughs> but uh, the the clients I would have who would get sort of quite quite uh, worried and upset and, and even downright scared around the approach of the Christmas season. Because yeah. they knew how much excess calories and alcohol they were going to be consuming, um, or partly almost like it was out of their control, and it's perhaps another thing to talk about. But mm. what I would say to them is the reason that, that they are upset about a 7- to 10-day stretch out of 365 is because the other 355 days were not that great either. And what yeah. the holiday season was really doing was holding a magnifying glass to their behavior the rest of the year. Yeah. People who are re relatively consistent throughout the year are not worried about Christmas and are perhaps still behaving the same way that those other people did in terms of what they ate and drank. But mm. it's a small blip in an otherwise very consistent year, um, which thus makes it um, not only, I'm not going to say allowable, not only doable. Um, but ceases to be a problem, um, yeah. whether it's from the physiological effect on the body or, more importantly, perhaps the, the psychological effect that we can have the beer and the cake and whatever and just it's not even thought about that, oh, I'm being naughty, I'm cheating, well, this, well I'm going to have to run further tomorrow. You just, yeah. you know, you, you enjoy Christmas Day and you carry on with the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a big thing. And that circles back to one of my biggest sort of rants. It's consistency. It just does not matter really what the methodology is or the special magic bullet or the ancient training technique. It's like if you're not doing it most days, it's not going to work. Yeah, that's such a good point. Such a good point, Darren. Um, so, you know, we've talked about the the difference between the type of exercise that people could think about when they get older, um, their mindset around alcohol and also uh, letting go of, I guess, past glory to sort of accept where they are. What are some other things that men of in their middle age what are other things that you see they need to think about more that they perhaps aren't um was i guess just uh, to add another point to that like past glory um, yeah. guys think about all the old kung fu movies and things like that it's the wise old master who does not fight anymore why does he not fight anymore he doesn't have to prove shit he knows he's good he knows he's got the goods and yeah, sure, in the movie, eventually he, he fights or does what he has to do. But uh, stop worrying about past glories and just be content that you did it. Yeah, um, yeah. And you're probably, you're probably uh, more financially better off. You've got a loving family. You've got a great career. You, maybe you've got a bit of extra free um, you know, recreational time because of the work you've done during your 30s and 40s. Um, and just, yeah, like be proud of that and do what you can do, not worrying about trying to prove to some 20-year-olds who don't even care to be honest. Mm. Is that a um, little bit of um, 
I don't know if you have heard of Alain de Botton before, and I have sort of probably butchered his name a little bit, but he's a, a modern-day philosopher who yes. had a book on status anxiety. And in fact, and, and I think this is sort of where that falls into, is that we are so concerned with how we might appear to our next-door neighbours mm. um, that we, you know, that we do ourselves a bit of a disservice and we no longer worry, you know, back in... I suppose our modern history, like people who were born into service, let's say of an aristocrat or something, so there were definitive classes. They never compared themselves to, uh, I suppose, uh, being in that sort of upper echelon because it was never going to be an option. But we were right. sold this idea that you know you can make anything possible as long as you work hard enough and try hard enough, and maybe that's part of what where some of the one some think, of that comparison comes into. I think into. that's huge, right? Because what do we see on social media? But the, just just some crazy things, and just the way that stuff's progressing, you know. And I forget what the trick was, but Tony Hawk spent his whole life trying to perfect the seven twenty or nine sixty flip spin thing, um, and um, when he finally did it, um, now there's twelve year olds doing it. Um, the four minute mile, right? The twenty five mm. or twenty eight people broke the four minute mile the year that Bannister did it. Amazing. Um, and things just keep moving up. Right, but um, does that mean that the four-minute mile is easy to run? No, <laughs> yeah. it's still really freaking hard. But now you could be forgiven for thinking that it's kind of doable. It's yeah, not. Yeah. It's really yeah. hard. Um, so if you can run a five-minute mile, I think my best time ever. And I remember being sore for ten days straight. I ran a five fourteen on a track, and I'll probably never run faster than that again. Um, and that killed me. Absolutely killed me. And, uh, you know, I could say, oh, maybe five minutes. Is, and perhaps with training I could do that, but I ain't doing four um, and, I, and I shouldn't be trying. I don't know how this will sound because it's not supposed to sound like I'm amazing, but I only really lined up a few times in my life to do a, to do a 1500, which is not quite a mile. And I finished the 1500 with all these girls half my age vomiting beside me. And I was like, Ah, I, I certainly wasn't first. Like I was last, mm, I think, mm, or mm. second last, and I might have done five eighteen or something. And I'm like, ah, oh, so what's up with them? I just couldn't run fast enough. Couldn't push myself fast enough. So um, <laughs> that's as far as I got. But anyway, I'm Love sorry. So, so yeah, no, yeah. that's right. So we were coming back to, I guess, the the type of training that people should be doing. I, I think something to always remind ourselves of is is what do we ultimately want? Right? It's like the five whys or you know the the BHAG goal. And if you put a gun to someone's head, typically they just want to live a long and happy life and be around for their kids and their, and their mm. family and, and that sort of thing. Uh, and we just forget that so often. And we get, yeah, we get stuck in this like sort of seeking this social glory or whatever you want to call it or, or competitiveness. Um, if we can all be honest that we sort of just want to be, be like vaguely attractive naked and um, can, can sit on the toilet without wincing. Um, mm -hmm. And get off again, mm -hmm. uh, and um, and and be able to do that for a reasonable, you know, like a, just just give me a fair amount of time on this earth to do that, then I'm happy, you know. And it's probably somewhere between seventy five and ninety five. Um, we it seems like we can't really change the genetic switch around that time, but we can certainly improve, you know, the quality of that time. So we we want to be strong. And let's not forget, though, that strong, yeah, is, it's this is the same topic. Strong can mean an 1,100-pound back squat now because right? mm. there's people that do that. There's lots of people that mm. do that. But if you can squat, and I'm just using pounds because it sounded more impressive then, but let's come back to, yeah. the, to the, 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 the sensible measurement of the world. If you could squat your own body weight, so mm -hmm. that's around 50, 60, 70 kilos for a woman or 70, 80, 90 kilos for a man, you're strong. Yeah. And if you can do double that, you're very strong. And you should probably mm -hmm. stop there or maybe a little bit past that if you're not into breaking the world record in powerlifting. Yeah. Uh, and focus on the other important things such as mobility. Um, can you squat all the way down to the ground? Mm. Can you get back up from the ground without losing balance? And there's a test out there. You probably know about that one, Mickey. I think it's a Swedish test. Um, get down on the floor and stand back up again. And you would lose. You start with ten points, and you lose a half point if you have a wobble, and you lose a full point if you put a knee or a hand on the floor. Yeah. Um, and that was the predictive uh, measure of longevity. And apparently, it's, you know, draw conclusions of those kind of ones and what you will. But there was some accuracy in it. Um, and that's what it was. We know that people um, falls and breaking hips and wrists, and that that is a massive issue when we get old. So um, 
without name dropping, I, I, I trained a very famous ex All Black a few years ago, and uh, yeah, he couldn't get out of his car without wincing, even nearly screaming sometimes when his his knees or his ankles or his back was playing up. You know, and he was full of titanium screws and plates and this, that, and the other, and ligaments taken from here and put over there, and um, that's part of a career um, in a contact sport at at you know the the highest possible level. Uh, and he used to be able to squat nearly two hundred kilos. Mm. What we did was trained to be able to get down on the floor and back up again yeah. with his own body weight, like not yeah. not extra himself, just down and up um, onto a nice padded mat. Um, and we worked on that until he could do it without, um, you know, biting his tongue off or you know with with pain. We dragged sleds and we we rode and we did things that had low impact. And we built strength and capacity and mobility. Um, because that's the stuff he needs now in his in his fifties going forward. That's the stuff that's important. There's no need to build back to a two hundred kilo back squat ever. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I imagine he would have been quite accepting of that, given that what you were working on was reducing his day to day levels of pain and, and yeah, improving well, his quality of life. You you would think so, and eventually yes. But this, I think, that's a really interesting point. There were moments where the the all black came out. And yeah. he would be disgusted at himself for this empty bar he had on his shoulders yeah, or disgusted for the sort of remedial work that he was doing because you don't forget, and I, I don't know what if that's some kind of protective mechanism, but we don't forget how good we used to be. And it's, mm. it haunts us. It's, mm. it's a, it's a, it haunts us. It's horrible. It um, and making peace with that, I think, is one of the biggest superpowers um, you could possibly possess. Let, let's say you don't, you know, you're not gifted this one. You have to grow that yourself um i I talk a lot about um you know seeking um purpose not prs anymore um that's what we're trying to do yeah you know it came back to what we're speaking of a little while ago like you can't keep getting stronger so if Mm. if at some point you can't pr and i see people used to they used to quit my gym Mm. because they weren't making any more progress but it was based on the measures that they had for themselves which were nearly impossible which was you didn't start lifting weights until you were in your 40s so you missed a big window of you know physical potential you had a stressful job you you can't put your arms directly over your head because of you know thoracic mobility issues um and you're to be honest you don't really have any right to be doing cleaner jerks and you're you're mad because it's not moving it's plateaued yeah um what if we stopped your shoulders hurting and um you know so on and so on and so on could that be interesting and what about enjoying and loving and embracing the process of training of yeah. moving your body and how it feels how good it feels um, not just as a stress relief but you know the the beauty of the human form yeah. doing things yeah, yeah and that's that purpose not prs like uh, or play not prs however you want to sort of talk about it or, or, or not performance we don't always have to think about how good are we um yeah. what about how good it feels yeah so i think that's what will sustain us yeah, for sure. And Darren, just sort of finally, like, what are the steps that someone might take if they're sitting here listening to this, recognizing themselves and some of the things that we're talking about? What would be their steps for sort of hmm. beginning to change, beginning to progress to that stage that you just talked about, like finding that, um, you know, play or purpose? And I know that this, this is not going to yeah. suit everyone, but for those hmm. who are actually like, you know what, that might be more important right now. What are they doing? Yeah, and I feel like um, I've just told people off for, for an hour rather than actually offer, um, you know, usable mm-hmm. advice. No, no. But um, yeah, there's, there's, there's room for intense workouts and hard challenges and, and things like that. Like I'm still fascinated by, by you know, trying to take on things that are, that are hard to do. Um, mm. I swam around the mount a couple of weeks ago, Mickey. Um, Amazing. I, I thought it was 2Ks, turned out it was three and a half, and I haven't swum since COVID. Uh, wow. So, so it was tough. It was really yeah, tough. Yeah. Um, I had a couple of scary moments even, but uh, made it, and uh, that was cool to achieve, you know, and awesome. so things like that, they're, they're cool. Um, but most of the time, we, we, this is just the truth. We should be performing strength training at a moderate level of intensity. Mm-hmm. Um, even high is different to very high. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should be doing a lot of low-intensity movement. We should be walking a lot. We should be cycling, swimming, paddling, yeah. you know, um, jogging. Uh, and the stuff in between, we should be doing quite a bit less of. But it's funny, yeah. everything, if we think about energy systems, right, we've got ATP, CP, that's strength training, you know, about 10 seconds to a minute of work. We've got 
mitochondrial uh, zone one aerobic work, walking, jogging for hours. Mm. Um, and then we move towards the middle and it's very glycolytic and lactic, which is 10Ks and marathons and mm. field sport and just about any competitive endeavor and and um, CrossFit and high-intensity classes, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. It's always right in this really stressful, high cortisol, lactic, glycolytic um, zone. Um, and we often forget about the other end of the spectrum. So my advice is, is start at the outskirts of our energy spectrum. Lift weights, walk. Mm. As you get better at that, you can start venturing towards the middle. But just yeah. dip a toe in, see how it feels. You know, do a high-intensity class and go back to your strength training um, and see what the the ratio or the frequency per week is that works for you. But um, if we come back to the fact that we don't do much as a society, we need to move more. We just need yeah. to do less. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's <laughs> And I'm not brilliant. trying to be Mr. Miyagi, right? We, we need yeah, to move yeah. more, more often. As every day yeah, we yeah. need to move. Yeah. Um, we just probably need to do less of it each day. And most yeah. people try to do m- more a couple times a week. Yeah. And go balls out to make up for it. And that still actually maybe counterintuitively is way more stressful than doing something at a moderate intensity every single day. Like I don't really believe in rest days yeah. um, per se. Like generally you need rest days because you've trained really hard. Now, again, if you've been competitive, you probably need rest days to make that yeah. adaptation. But if you are training for life, you need to move every day to keep the keep your wheels greased. Um, so it's not so much a rest day as it is maybe a hard day, an easy day, a longer day, a shorter day. Um, a strength day, an aerobic day, but you should be moving every day and you should be varying that intensity and that and that duration. That's awesome. And I think, you know, from, and you're absolutely right, like if everyone is sort of, if you're not training for some competitive event, which I know a lot of people are, then, uh, then what you've just described sounds great. And then for those that are, maybe they need off seasons, you know, and I don't think we get a lot of that with all the events splintered across the year. Someone's off season might be two weeks, whereas actually compete, train hard, do what you need to do, but then spend some time at those opposite ends of the spectrum to allow your sort of your body to recover and to yeah, become well, stronger going back into that next session. Yeah, season. The, you know, the the um, Eastern Block knew, knew how to do it, right? That was, that was where cross training first came from, yeah. um, varying through it. And, uh, I think there's I'm, – I'm trying to practice some form of that myself. I think seasonal training is very important, you know. So right yeah. now, like summer, Thailand summer, I did – I got, you know, ocean swimming, surfing. Mm. Um, as we move into autumn, I'll dust off the mountain bike. As we move into winter, I'm going to sign up at the local jiu-jitsu gym, um, nice. you know, and I'll still try to get in the ocean, but I'm not going to be doing as as many swims probably. And then as, yeah. as spring rolls around again, you know, we'll start – increasing time back in the ocean and and so on and so on and i think that actually helps keep you fresh um, yeah. maybe winter time is a great time to do a strength like sign up gym do a really good strength training block and then as yeah. we move into summer you start doing a bit more jogging and more cardio oriented sort of things um and, and we're in this we're in this for a long time uh, yeah. i think again most people uh the way they train is like they're trying to get it all in that one year but if you were yeah. if if we were saying what instead of yeah 12 months it's a 12 year or a, or a 36 year challenge um what does the training look like for that yeah but we just yeah. we're just not wired to believe that and again it all comes back around to what i was saying earlier like you do know you're going to die right like so <laughs> <laughs> so so on Figure that note darren that is a that's a great little place to end <laughs> off now one are you taking clients uh a few um yeah. i have a i have a a, a standard coaching program where where i uh where I program training and nutrition for people who are interested in this style of of, of training, of uh, training for for purpose, for longevity. And um, I have a couple of VIP slots where um, we just get right into the weeds, and um, it's a bit more of an intervention, I guess you could say. And we 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 sort things out in a in a shorter space, um, more in, more intense space of time. Right? Yeah. There are awesome. there's places for intensity. That is awesome, Darren. Where can people find you? Um, I'm 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 trying to. Be young and get on the socials. Uh, Instagram, we've been uh, spending a bit of extra time on there lately. That's Darren Ellis 75. Or um, uh, I've got a website that needs some work, but darrenellis.coach. Brilliant. Darren, thank you for your time this morning. I think you've given people um, a lot to think about. And I always love geeking out on stuff like this because we're quite aligned. Uh, so, um, 
Uh, yeah, and I look forward to bringing both you and Cliff back on to talk about your book when it's sort of ready to be unleashed to the world. But un- until then, um, I think this is a great opportunity to shine a light on on things that people don't often think about. Yeah. Hey, we, we no one wants to get old. No. But uh, we do want to live a long time. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Darren. Cheers, Mickey. All right, team, hopefully you enjoyed that. And as I said, you can find Darren's contact information over on the show notes to this podcast or jump on Instagram. You'll find him at DarrenAllis75. And until next week, where I sit down and chat to Professor Michael Murphy all about MitoQ and coenzyme Q10 and mitochondria. He is a co-creator of the MitoQ supplement. You can find me over on Facebook at Mickey Willardin Nutrition, over on Instagram and Twitter at Mickey Willardin, or head to my website mickeywillardin.com where you can, in addition to the meal plans that you can sign up for, you can book a one-on-one consult with me there. All right, team, until next week, see you later.